same China, different stories. We are the ones that found their way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. exciting than other times <laughs> I love it same like hello it's Tara and ABC anywho <laughs> I am here with a very fun individual that I got to speak with about work about moving and now I will let Mimi introduce yourself Ooh, okay hi I am Mimi Collier I am almost 25 years old sorry you um, my school's health check just decided to buzz me right now. I do not have COVID. Um, I am a medical student at UAB in Alabama, and I am a second-year medical student, so I have not entered clinicals yet. But I am more than just a medical student. I am an artist. I am a Chinese adoptee, which is why I'm here right now. So I guess, where were you adopted from? Do you know how old you were? All the fun base questions. Sure. The bio. Um, I'm adopted from Nanchang, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Mm. N-A-N-C-H-A-N-G, because there's a Nanchang too. Guangxi province, I think it's like southeast China. I was adopted in 97, and I was born in 96. So I was adopted at 10 months old. Mm. I was adopted by my mother, who was a single mom, and my grandmother went with her, which was a really neat trip that they got to make together. Oh, that is a nice trip. So you grew up in the U.S. Yes. I have lived in Alabama my entire life, except for, of course, being in China. I'm in the biggest city in Alabama. And let's see. Yeah, I mean, I've moved a little bit, but I've never lived outside of Alabama. Okay, I didn't realize that. For some reason, I thought you grew up in a different part of the U.S. and then went to school in Alabama specifically for... Ironically, no. I think my accent throws people off because I don't have much of one. Um, I went to San Diego for a research conference and of course I used a lot of um you know uber uber cars and everyone said where are you from of course and I told them they're like wait you're from Alabama (laughs) yes I'm glad you said that because I was thinking that that's that's exactly why I thought maybe you grew up in a different part of the U.S. I did listen to a podcast about this that a lot of like your pronunciation and everything when you're born of course and then where you grow up acquire some of the pronunciation and characteristics of that area so yeah I'm really surprised that you don't have any sort of twang I should say it's kind of interesting so I I was an English major in college and I took a linguistics class and I asked my professor about that she said oh you know Birmingham is a big I mean you know it's not actually big big but it's a fairly big city um it's the biggest one in the state and you have people from all over and different parts of the state who come and so you probably picked it up from them but my hypothesis which is completely unfounded so I can't, you know, give evidence to this. But I started reading at a really young age. I learned I learned to read about three because my mom mm-hmm. and grandma read to me all the time, you know, when I was home with them. And one day I just picked up one of the books we've been reading and started to read it. And they thought I'd memorized it because it was like my favorite story. And I hadn't. And so I was reading Harry Potter at five. And Harry Potter has some, you know, decent sized words in it for five-year-olds, like corridor and things like that. And I have noticed as I've gotten older that I will specifically pronounce words differently than my family does. Like my grandmother has sort of a southern accent it's not crazy strong but it's definitely there and she pronounces words like corridor differently than myself and water and poem and I don't know I have noticed that so I I think that maybe I encountered words in books earlier than I heard people say them frequently that might be one reason why I don't have a strong southern accent maybe well my grandmother grew up in Montgomery and they have actually a different southern accent than I think more people around here do which they definitely have one it's just not 
what I call strong. But as I've gotten older, I've actually noticed it more. But I, maybe that's just taking linguistics. I don't know. Linguistics, I am fascinated by this, and I really am curious now. Now that we just happen to be talking about this, yeah, it was a class yeah. I took in college, and my professor was a really interesting lady. I think she's one of two people in the world. I don't know if it can have transcribed a specific African language. I don't know. I don't remember anymore. But she she's an interesting person. She wanted me to minor in linguistics, but I unfortunately did not have enough hour like time in my schedule to do it. You're in, you're in the field of medicine. Before that, though, you were actually a creative writing major. Is that right? Yeah, and just uh, I guess for anyone listening, so medical school is to be a doctor, like MD, because um, I think some people like nursing school is to be a nurse, right? But like medical, we're like I'm a medical person. What does that mean? So yeah, um, yes, because <laughs> I yeah I didn't realize that a lot of people don't, don't know what that means, which is totally fine. So just for clarification, but yeah, I have loved writing and reading um, my entire life. And when I was three, I used to tell people, I want to be a bookmaker who illustrates my own pictures when I grow up, which means, of course, writing and drawing books or something. I thought for a while, maybe I want to get into the magazine industry. And I shadowed people in high school for that. And then I was thought, well, maybe I like teaching. Maybe I want to be an English professor, but probably college level because I didn't want to teach high school. Well, I could teach high schoolers, but I didn't want to teach like young kids. I love kids, but I don't really want to work with them all the time. So I did my research, man. I tried to figure out hard if this career was for me. Um, and I, I really couldn't get much of an answer. So I thought, well, I like this. I guess, you know, English has a lot of past. I'll major and see what happens. And I'll double major in graphic design on the side because that was a smart plan to see if I want to still get into the whole magazine um, publishing industry. So yeah, I started as a double major in graphic design and English. And that was a lot of work. I found out graphic design mm -hmm. is awesome. It's not for me. Um, I went to Auburn University, and they have a really great graphic design program, um, but it kind of stuck the final for me. They, mm -hmm. The first year, and I think into the second year, everything is done entirely by hand because they want you to learn the techniques. And I get that, but they will literally take what you do by hand. It's permanent. So if you mess up, you either take the knockoff your grade or you have to start over, and they will circle every little imperfection on it. And it just, again, if you really want that career, I'm sure it's totally worth it for me. I was like, there are other things I'd like to do. It's just kind of just taking my art and turning it to work maybe was not the best idea. <laughs> so then you shifted into deciding to pursue medicine after you're like graphic design is not for me and then the creative writing you're like oh also I mean you still love it right right yeah so I guess I should tell my I guess my story because it, I never thought I would be here in medical school if you told me six years ago hey Mimi <laughs> you're gonna be a doctor I'd be like no that's crazy because as a kid a lot of people told me, hey, have you thought about medicine? You're good at science. I think you'd, you'd be good at it. You'd like it. And I said, oh, you know, that's cool and all, but I like writing. I want to do that. But um, so my mother who adopted me, she was diagnosed with a brain tumor when I was 12. And that obviously had a big role in me getting into medicine. But even before that, she was a nurse herself. And my grandmother was a nurse too. And they actually went to nursing school together, which was pretty cool. My grandmother changed careers at like 40 something um so they went yeah so they went through nursing school together in the 80s and so I had grown up around medicine like they would come home and talk about you know not specific patients of course because that would be violating HIPAA but you know scientific things and medical cases and I thought that was really interesting and I enjoyed hearing what they had to say about it and like ethical issues would come up and I thought that was really neat too but like I said I just thought hey English is my first love I should go with that but medicine again became more part of my life my mom got sick I was you know, wanted to know what was going on with her. And because my grandmother and my mom were both in nursing, like the doctors would talk more specifics, you know, in medicine about her disease and things like that. So I, I that again, that was part of my life. I got to college and after my freshman year, I kind of realized I do enjoy my English major, but I missed like the intellectual challenge of, of science for one thing. And again, not that English is not challenging, but I just missed 
I guess, science specifically. And being an English college professor, that's the thing that I wanted to do. And it's a great field. I'm like really close to some of my English professors still. And I think that they make a huge impact, you know, on students, but it is so hard to get into. Years down the road, after I already made the switch, there was a panel of um, English professors who were talking about grad school. And they sat us down and said, look, we really recommend that you don't go to grad school for English at all. But if you do, we will do our best to help you because we want you to succeed, but please don't do that. Um, And it's just because, like I said, unfortunately, economy doesn't really value art and the studying of art that much. And so it's just really hard to find a job. I mean, even if you're trying to be, I guess, a like STEM professor, probably is still hard, but it's really hard creative writing in English and stuff like that. So again, if that had been the only thing I ever wanted to do and I just felt like insanely passionate about it, then yeah, I probably would have still gone for it because I, I don't want to give up on something. But I just thought there's so many things I want to do and there's so many things I like to do. So I decided to shadow my mom's radiation oncologist who we've become close to as a family, you know, over the years. And I shadowed him the summer after my freshman year of college. And I realized I really love this. You know, I love that, like the intellectual rigor and it's really practical because you're helping people and it is creative. Like you, yes, there are different treatments and standard protocols, but you as a physician can have like a direct impact in people's lives and the way that you practice medicine and how you treat people is very specific. I think sometimes people who are younger, who want to go into medicine, they think I'm going to help people by fixing them and fixing their problems, whether it's, you know, um, more mental health problems or physical problems, but sometimes you can't fix problems. Um, Sometimes you just help people best as best you can like help them deal with whatever it is that they're facing and improve their quality of life but you know you can't always cure people unfortunately i hope we're heading towards that one day but we're not there yet for you know certain diseases so anyways back to my mom i also saw like how well her physician treated her and that they really went the extra mile to make sure that she was taken care of and was assured and then my mom herself was hugely inspirational to me i mean like, I honestly think she was an angel. I mean, no, no human is perfect, but she was about as close to perfect as you can get. She was mm-hmm. extremely loving and kind. She literally fought a brain tumor for 10 years. I mean, that's almost unheard of. It was not a glioblastoma, which is the most aggressive kind, but it was oh. a pilocytic astrocytoma, which is often found in children. And it was on her brainstem, which, you know, kind of controls a lot. It's the conduit between your brain and the rest of your body. So it's, it's pretty important. And she had honestly kind of a low quality of life she kept her mental faculties about her but physically she was not doing well for a long bit of that 10 years but she never complained she was extremely strong for herself but also for my family and she also gave a lot of comfort to fellow patients because when she went to get chemo she would like reassure people and talk to them and things like that so oh wow yeah I mean my, my mother really was an amazing person and um it's been really hard dealing like seeing her suffer and then even now like she's gone I'm glad she's not suffering anymore but it's been you know, a, a different kind of grieving process, but right. um, she's a big, a big part of the reason why I'm in medicine. And then, I don't know, I, I do believe in, um, you know, faith, that's a whole other story, but I, I am a Christian, and I honestly think that, I guess, I think I'm meant to be a doctor. Like, it's just really weird to me that I was adopted by this specific family. I ended up in Birmingham, which is, a, like, hugely a medical city, like, one in three jobs in Alabama related to the like the hospital that's tied to the school I'm going to. Oh. Yeah, my whole family's worked for them at some point. And I don't know, I'm the kind of person that I don't think that you can simply will away bad things by saying, oh, well, everything's meant to happen for a reason. I do think that good can come out of bad things. But I don't, I don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think it was just worth it that my mom got sick and maybe that was a big play, you know, playing, playing factor in why I'm in medicine. Like, I, I wish that had not happened, but I think some good can come of it. And I think that was part of my inspiration for being here. And I do think, weirdly enough, I was meant to be here. Wow. Uh, yeah, you unloaded a lot of pretty- Yeah, that's, it's a, it's a long, my story is 
it's just been odd. Like, I mean, all all of us have a unique story and being, you know, an international adoptee, I think that story becomes even more complex, but I, de I definitely feel that my story specifically is kind of weird, but I, um, I'm, I'm living, I guess. I mean, it sounds like you're very passionate about what you have now decided to study too. So that's a, that's always nice to hear when people are very passionate about what they're doing. It's always very reassuring. It's, and you have, uh, of course, it sounds like you have good intentions. Thank you. Yeah, I um basically, I'm trying. I'm trying to be. I, I the way I guess what I feel I can offer my patients specifically is that you know none of us ever know what somebody else goes through. You know, you and I could have a similar experience, but I still will not know how it impacts you specifically, and then what it was like for you to live through that. So it's not like I'm saying, well, my mom, you know, had cancer, and so I know what every patient family are going through. I don't, but I feel that going through something that's similar and you know adverse, it give hopefully gives you better empathy for people and more willingness to try to understand and more of an open mind. And so I guess one good thing that could come out of like all the stuff that my family's been through is that I think it has helped me better be there for people. And I've been able to, at least from what they've told me, be there for my friends as they've gone through like, you know, major life things. Because we all go through losing people, you know, to death and to illness and things like that. But you know, unfortunately I've I've had it at a young age, but we all go through these things and it never gets easier. But if someone can support you, um, I think that is helpful. Oh, it's really touching. <laughs> I don't know what to say to after that. Oh, well, I will say honestly, though, medical school is very difficult, and I'm trying mm -hmm. to, um, I'm trying to hold on to that inspiration. I think that's what all medical students go through: is that, dang, we're doing a lot of studying and like some clinical stuff, but especially now that we're in a pandemic and we can't see patients really, so mm. it's hard to remember that. Hey, I'm in the you know the long journey here, and eventually I will get to um, practically help people. But right now, it just feels like my head's in a book all the time. I will say I do like what I study, but we, it's just, I hate how much we have to study. It truly, there's a saying in medical school that it's like drinking from a fire hose and it's very cliche, but they're not wrong. It's just a lot of information that you have to learn in a very right. short time. So that's not what I love studying, but I enjoy what I do. But I guess, fr frankly, though, I, I'm always a person who wants both. Like I want the things I told you that I like about medicine, but I miss my creative side. And mm -hmm. it's not even that I'm just busy, but honestly, it, after my mom passed away, I, it kind of did hurt my creativity. I think it was just, you know, grieving and things like that. It's gotten better, but the world obviously is very stressful right now, so that has not helped. And I've tried to be creative, but it does not flow as easily as it used to. Long story short, I will say I, I kind of miss um, more of my creative side, which is one reason that I wanted to get involved in podcasting. So here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I, I love that there's so many podcasts coming to light in this time and also a lot specifically <clears throat> for adoptees international adoptees yes Chinese adoptees of course this one and there's a few others too I was like oh this is great oh it makes me so happy that people are you know exploring this part of our identity and like I said it's so different for everyone there's not one one adoptees experience even if you're adopted from the same country and, and then go to the same country we just have such vastly different perspectives right I feel like sometimes when talking with other Chinese adoptees, we do say the same things about our adoption, like, oh yeah, I was this many months old, or I, mean, I was definitely a little bit older, but then it's also right. from this area, this province, and yeah, I came to the US, or I came to Canada, or I went to another country. I feel like the base of how we all start speaking is very similar, but then you really get into the weeds of it. It's like, so you're studying, you're not studying, what do you want to do? Do you right. want to go to school at some point or no? So that's pretty fascinating too really talk to people and learn yeah totally and just the way that 
Um, I mean, it is a part of our identity. I, I think identities are complex. So for some, basically, I think lots of things make up a person's identity, but how much does it make it up? That depends on the person. And so for some people, the fact that they're adopted from China might be really important to them. And some people, eh, it doesn't impact my life that much. Um, so that's also where I think it gets kind of interesting. And how the adoptive family deals with it too is also very um, influential. And then, you know, how does their community, how do they respond with their community is also interesting. Oh, yeah. I know. So this is sort of segueing into, we were talking about this, of course, when we initially started talking. Yes. So the recent events at the Capitol. <laughs> uh, that disgrace that. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's touch on this a little bit, because I actually grew up in Maryland, which I know I've mentioned before, but I grew up near the Capitol. A lot of people are saying, like, you really shouldn't be shocked that this is happening. It, it connects to what you were saying in the sense because I think like us being adopted is definitely part of our identity. And I was having this conversation with somebody, a Chinese individual who came here to study in New York. And she was saying, it's, you all grew up with white parents for the most part. Most of us have, not everybody, of course. So mm -hmm. it's like, we almost grew up inheriting that like white privilege, quote unquote white privilege. But at the same time, when we look at ourselves, we're not white. So I was thinking about this sort of, it's just interesting to get your take on it too. It's like, so. Right. Oh, that, yeah, that's super interesting. Um, I've definitely had a lot of discussions about that with my grandmother, who my grandma, so my grandmother is almost 83. You know, she has lived in Alabama her whole life. And I mean, she's older, but I will, my grandmother is so open-minded just in general, but also for someone of that age, I'm really impressed with her. Like there are a lot of terms that we've talked about and different concepts that she maybe doesn't know as in depth, like we've talked a lot about like sexuality, for instance, recently, but she truly loves people and wants her best to understand. And so we've talked again, a lot about like white privilege. And I think now we're learning more like what it means for me. Yes, like you said, I have been raised in a white community, you know, have in some ways inherited that white privilege, but we're still other. I mean, maybe some people don't see it that way, but, but we are. And mm -hmm. I think I was reading some article where they were talking about how um, I think it was about all international adoptees, not just Chinese adoptees, but the fact right. that we kind of don't have a homeland, so to speak. I mean, I very much see myself as an American. Like, my country very much has flaws, uh, clearly, but I do love my country, and I, I'm happy to be American. But but in terms of, like, where you come from with identity, that's, that's a more uh, complex topic, kind of. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I don't wish that I'd grown up in China, but I do feel, I mean, technically, yeah, we did lose something. We gained something else, but we did lose something. So that's something, I, it's a very complex issue to talk about. But basically, the way that I see it is that in many areas of my life, I kind of feel like I'm in between. I mean, obviously, you can't put anything in this world in easy categories. But when we try to categorize people um, mm -hmm. and label them, I don't think I fall into labels. Like, I'm not really white, but I wouldn't really call myself Asian either. But I think it's complex because I don't feel like I have a group, so to speak. But I'm also okay with it because I think, and I have to be careful and, you know, understand my own limitations, but I think it gives me a place to kind of understand where various groups might be coming from. Because I, I can see, mm -hmm. have an insider's view of like white privilege, but I also am not truly a part of it. And therefore, hopefully I can be more empathetic towards minority situations. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of a way for me, I, I try to mediate, I guess, in a lot of situations and be, you know, not tolerant of hate, never tolerant of hate, but try to be open-minded and dig deep. It's like, I don't agree with you. Why do I not agree with you? And what do you really think? And where are you coming from? And I may still not agree with you at the end of the day, but I want to understand what makes people tick. 
and again, that's why I like writing. That's why I'm in medicine is I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by people. And you're getting into podcasting too, and you also get to discover more. Totally. I mean, we were strangers and now we're having these great conversations. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I love it too. I actually did meet somebody who I met through the podcast specifically. She came to visit her brother in New York and was like, do you want to meet up? I was like, sure. Like, this is so interesting that we met specifically for the podcast. Right. And then actually meeting you in person, it doesn't feel like a new interaction or anything because we'd already spoken. I don't know why that feels so surprising now. It could just be also with everything going on right now that it's almost feels like a novelty to meet somebody in person <laughs> that you met online, which I think was the case when the internet really started booming in the beginning. You would meet people on the internet and then you met them in real life. Like, oh, I mean, that's online dating, I guess, too. <laughs> no, that's something my grandmother and I, we live together and we are being very careful with the pandemic uh, because of her age and my mm-hmm. field. Yes, I've seen people, but it's been completely social distance. I've been outside. I've worn a mask. So I'm doing my best to keep her safe. But basically, long story short, we spend a lot of time together, of course, and we're having really good conversations. Um, I like having those anyways. And we've talked about how, obviously, the pandemic is terrible. Like, I hate that lives have been lost and lives have been interrupted. But thankfully, we have more internet access than we would have had even 10 years ago. Of course, not everyone has access. True, true, true. But if this had happened 10 years ago, we would be in so much trouble. I don't even know what would be going on because at least to a degree businesses can still operate people can still get education um and and may, I, I don't know i think it has definitely highlighted disparities unfortunately because like i said some people don't have access to these things it is is interesting time like all the basically people keep saying 2020 is sucked yeah 2020 is sucked but these things have been here 2020 has been a year that people can't deny it anymore or if they <laughs> are denying it like they're flat out denying it but i think basically this year has been a year of self-reflection either on yourself or on other people Again, with COVID, with Black Lives Matter, with politics, your response, even if it's a non-response, says a lot about you. And no one can escape from it because they're literally worldwide issues. Or, you know, in the case of our politics, I guess, national issues, but they affect the world. So, yeah, you can't escape from this. And I find that, I guess it's kind of scary, but it's also, we need to self-reflect. No one's perfect, but we should always be trying to, within reason, improve ourselves. And that takes self-reflection and listening to other people and then self-reflecting again domestic terrorism because that's what it is um the domestic terrorism that occurred in the capital the other day is that we all have to be willing to thoroughly and continually evaluate our own beliefs and feelings and that's hard a lot of people don't want to do that because it takes effort and it comes more easily to some people than others and i get that like it's not fun to do sometimes we cannot constantly stress ourselves out but I think to be the best citizens of the world that we can be, it does need to be an ongoing process of being open-minded, trying your best to look at facts, take in new information, listen to people, analyze yourself, and then repeat the process. And you can't just say, well, I've improved some and I can stop now. And I think we can say that about a lot of different things, about racism, about politics, uh, many of the right. issues. Is a, I think that's a dangerous thing is that some people say, well, I've done enough work. I'm a good person. And so what I believe must be correct. And, you know, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, day six into 2021, everybody was so hopeful. And then I was trying to be more positive because obviously <laughs> 2020 has been a bad year. And like my, you know, my mom passed away around mid-December. So, you know, Christmas is hard when you lose someone. Every holiday is hard. But like, yeah, Christmas is not like a, a great time for me. Um, I also lost... My, so I, my mom was single, like I told you, but I grew up with my grandparents and my mother and my grandfather, who was, you know, a father to me, he passed away like 
almost a year exactly before she did. So it was a really bad time and it was still, still a rough time, but I'm trying to like recognize that, but not let that, you know, just continually, I guess, make me miserable <laughs> because 2020 was miserable. Like it was miserable for a lot of people. And then, like I said, I also had those things personally to deal with. So I did not think that 2021 would just magically hit a button, reset, it gets better, but I was trying to be in a more positive mindset and I'm still trying to, but it's like, but that's an ongoing thing though. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that living life when you're not in a state of denial is really hard. (laughs) It's really hard because um, there are some really amazing things in this world and my life, um, but then there's also a lot of darkness out there. And I think we have to recognize the good things but also recognize the bad things and then learn how to reconcile the two and that is challenging yeah and choose where you stand on either end of it yeah and like i said you know i mean i'm a young person i'm still forming my opinions i it would be very unwise of me to say that ah yes i know everything and i already have my stance on all of these issues of course i don't but i am willing to take in new information fact check from reputable sources which is key here because i know some people fact check but they're unfortunately fact checking in an echo chamber and then like listening to real people and trying to have empathy for them and hear what they have to say and then being willing to not change my entire opinion. Like if you change your opinion, anything that comes along just completely willy-nilly, that's a bad thing. But you should be willing to take in the information and synthesize that into your worldview and then adapting. Depending on what happens in life too and at whatever time it happens to, that may really change how your opinion on something too. So I always... Totally stand by that too but it's good to be open-minded in general in life i mean i've had to be i guess i I don't say that technically we don't have to but i felt that to do to be where i am in my life today i've had to be adaptable like you know when you have a parent who is you know terminally ill and you don't know when things are going to go south i mean you're kind of living in some ways waiting for their shoe to drop and it's kind of a terrible feeling i didn't oh yeah and try i mean just in a lot of ways i feel i feel in my life that i have not i guess had control over big things but in reality like we don't have unfortunately we don't have control of a lot of things in our lives we control how we respond to things and that's what i'm saying is that that's what we have control over is what we do in this world unfortunately not how the world treats us sometimes or how other people interact in this world i mean even getting into medical school is this very difficult long nail-biting process that is it's like eight it's an 18 month cycle it's really long so that alone is is i guess stressful where you're waiting to see am i going to get in if i don't get in what am i going to do now for me i was applying like when my mom was really sick not long before she passed away and like now i'm in medical school which is like i said very a lot of work and you're just kind of doing the grind trying to get to the light at the end of the tunnel now we're in a pandemic and now we have civil unrest so those are not good things but I guess what I'm saying is that you got to be kind to yourself we also have to be kind to other people that's true that's the truth but it is easier said than done uh, yeah it's I feel like it's always easier said than done very much which is why I just I've been having a ton of these conversations with people um I am lucky in my life that I have a lot of people who like to talk about these things with me mm-hmm. so in fact, the other day, um, I, I've had so many phone calls since this pandemic started. And I used to talk on the phone a decent amount with people because, in my opinion, the way to really get to know somebody is to talk to them. I mean, yes, doing fun things is cool, too, but like having good conversations. But since now we can't really do all those fun things that we used to or we're limited in that, I, like this summer, I spent multiple nights where I was talking to people like 6 or 7 a.m. Ooh. So that's one thing I will say about the pandemic is I, I've been 
I guess, nudge to get closer to more people. But I miss, though, getting to meet strangers. You were talking about... Mm, yes. Because I used to be, when I go out in public, I would talk to people. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be that person, I'm sure some people find annoying, but I would just talk to people, and sometimes it would last for two seconds, and sometimes it would last a long time. But right. now I feel like I'm unfriendly, because I'm like, stay away from me. I don't, I don't want you near me. Uh, especially travel, too, when you would t- just talk to people that get around. Mm, I miss tra- what you learn. Yeah, my grandmother and I, before I started medical school, so my grandparents took care of my mom for, mm-hmm. and she, for most of those 10 years, and she couldn't be left at home alone. So, I mean, they sacrificed most of their retirement to take care of her, and I helped, but, like, it was mostly them. So, anyways, she didn't get to travel. After my mom passed away, we decided to go to London and Canada, and that was really cool and a lot of fun, and I miss doing that. Like, I love, like, I don't care about material stuff. I just want to spend my money on travel. (laughs) experiences yeah experiences yeah objects won't make you happy but experiences with people that you care about that will make you happy so but yeah we went to London and I swear I would have her sit down somewhere because it was you know harder for her to walk as far as it was for me and I'd say you sit mm-hmm. I'll go find out information get us food or whatever and I come back and she made another friend That's awesome I'm like okay <laughs> so yeah I miss doing that because now when I do go out I try to of course avoid people so it was in sort of break too I feel like probably one sort of break in this segment. Have you been back to where you were born? Do you want to go back at some point? I want to say you probably haven't been back based on what you were saying, but do you want to go back at some point? Of course, post all this fun times. <laughs> I have not come back to China. I My mom had wanted to go back when I was old enough, but of course she couldn't because she was sick. But mm-hmm. I think for her, she thought the trip would mean more to me if we waited until I was a young adult. Oh. Uh, going to China is kind of expensive. We also couldn't afford it. So there's that too. Um, my mom actually worked overtime to help, you know, pay to be able to adopt me. And then my grandparents, um, you know, helped her a little bit. But anyway, so no, I have not gone back to China. I would love to. I was supposed to study abroad in Taiwan this past summer where I would be doing some clinical shadowing at a hospital there. But that did not happen Ooh. because of COVID, which I'm super disappointed in. They told me that I could keep my scholarship and that I could go in the future, but who the heck knows mm-hmm. when that's going to be? Thank you, pandemic. But I'm, I'm hoping I can maybe do it even fourth year. I mean, please, Lord, I'm praying. Do not have it be like this in the next two years. From what we know, at least, Asia's done overall much better than we have. <laughs> so, but I don't know if they would let me into the country. But, yeah. but, I, but the thing is, to go visit China, I need a visa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't have one. It makes my grandmother kind of nervous because I don't know... If you've, so I'm part of some of those uh, Facebook groups that are like kids or parents or both who've adopted from China, and some of them have gone back to visit China, and they said that the Chinese government was saying that their children were Chinese nationals, citizens. I think that makes their grandmother kind of nervous. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know the details of that. So, like, you know, maybe there was miscommunication. I don't know. But I think that makes her a little bit nervous, and since it's just the two of us, I don't really want to make her nervous right now. I see. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I mean... I don't know. I think some of them have had, like, my mom did all the research and making sure she did everything right. Like, some of these parents, I don't think they went through the full process of making their children citizens, and that's become an issue now that they're applying to college. Like, they realize, oh, you know, I actually am not completely a citizen, or, like, I don't have a social security number or something. I don't even know. Just some stuff has happened, but hopefully yeah. it turns out for them. I'm Like I said, I, I don't know entirely what's going on, but uh, I'm not entirely sure, 100%. It depends maybe on what agency and everything you use, but I think you can apply for, like, U.S. citizenship or, I guess, wherever you're adopting. Right. 
to so Canadian citizenship or other areas while you're adopting in the process. But I think there might be some processes where it's only adopting, not doing the citizenship, and you have to do it later. Yeah, I, what I, mean, I was a baby, so I'm not entirely sure what happened. But I think when we came back after my mom got me in China, she had to do some stuff afterwards, too. Like, I think we mm-hmm. went to Atlanta for naturalization or something. I would love to go back to China. It's interesting that we were talking about, you know, U.S. and things like that. China is an ancient country. That's just so wild to me because the mm-hmm. U.S. is a pretty new country. We've only been around, you know, not even 300 years. It's just wild to, to think about. Um, and, and also the fact that China, for the most part, was not colonized and was actually really isolationist for a long time. And I don't, I'm not an expert on that by any means because we don't learn a lot of that history in school. Like I took AP US history and AP European history, maybe. But yeah, you don't learn anything that's in Asia or other parts of the world. But I wish we did. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. important. It's really cool. I think that's what part of what's so fascinating to me is it is an ancient country that's living in modern times. And I think there's a lot of tension with that. And then of course, um, you know, all the Hong Kong stuff, that's also very interesting. I think it's, what, 2047 that the contract is up and China will maybe be able to take Hong Kong back fully. I, I just see that, I see that becoming even a bigger issue down the road. I mean, it already is a big problem now. In fact, so when I was looking into the Taiwan study abroad, I met some Taiwanese exchange students who were in medical school. And one of them, I think is from Hong Kong, and he was telling me about that. And I just, I don't know, I feel so bad for them. And like I said, I feel bad for them, but it also does have an impact on like, I guess, freedom in the rest of the world. It's kind of interesting. I guess also because that student would be living in Taiwan, experiencing that more firsthand than what we're doing now, maybe? Yeah, well, I think also his family's there, so I'm sure, you know, concerned about them. But I I mean, I I think he would have probably wanted to protest too, but maybe can't for different reasons. It's always relative, depending on where you live and what you're experiencing. Can't say. Totally. I know we were like appreciating the internet too, but I'm like now thinking back to images and stuff that I've seen from that from the six. So it's just like right. well, there's just so much going on, and I think again that's the thing about the internet is that it's not the world has in some ways become more complex in my opinion because we've become more globalized, which is a good thing. But that means that we can influence each other a lot more than we used to be able to, and we have just so much more access to information. Which, like I said, yes, it's a good thing. I would much rather be able to know something than not know it, but that also means there's more misinformation. People are overwhelmed with the amount of information, and it seems like, like, I don't know. If you talk to some older generations, they will say, ah, well, like, crime is so much worse than it used to be. I'm pretty sure research has shown that it's really not significantly worse. I think it's just more, yeah, it's really just more that we have more access to it, and, like, you have the news literally 24-7. My grandmother's dad, he was one of the pioneers of radio back when he first started. I mean, you only had certain programs. TV was new and you you didn't have it 24-7. And now we have it on TV, oh, yeah. on our phones, just everywhere. It's overwhelming and it's a lot to discuss. And mm-hmm. I recently, you know, talking with you about, of course, this kind of thing, I've gotten more interested in like, I guess, East Asian culture. And I've mm-hmm. tried to keep up more with like world political events and, the, you know, as I become an adult. And I just realized, wow, these things are so complicated. And now that we're living again in the era of 2020, um, the current events are extremely complicated. They'll go down in history. And we're, I mean, we're living it. So this is um, perhaps too much of an aside, but I remember 9-11. I was, let's see, four when that happened. But I remember it, like actually have the memory of it. But if I talk to people even a year younger than me, they don't remember it at all, which is just wild to me because that, 
I mean, 9-11 changed the way that we do airport security, right? We didn't have that stuff before then. And like this pandemic is going to change the way that we, I guess, maybe we'll continue to go out and wear masks, some of us maybe, um, in the future. Mm. It's, it's really changed the whole world. And now it's something that, yeah, people are living through, whereas people a little younger than me do not remember 9-11 at all. Mm. I barely remember it too, and I was like eight. <laughs> gonna be honest (laughs) that's okay I mean I I get actually I think that really did get me weirdly enough sort of interested in politics as a kid like now that I'm an adult I do not necessarily agree with all of his policies but as a kid I became really patriotic after 9-11 and I really liked George W. Bush and I like wrote (laughs) as a kid (laughs) and I actually was gonna meet him at one point but then he couldn't come and so his wife came instead and I got to meet her oh there you go yeah talking to you I'm like wow I feel like uh, at your age I was not that interested in really learning about everything I mean I was very open-minded but not to the extent of like actually engaging in learning about the world and everything going on it's only been like probably think a little too much (laughs) it's not a bad thing thinking is good Uh, I'm definitely one of those people where I think I still will be it may not change is I just kind of go with the flow like as things come I will deal with it or I try to plan the funny things like I try to plan as much as I can in advance but if something happens, I'm usually more of like a deal with it right then and then get out. <laughs> Hence why I'm moving again. But <laughs> I think that's a good approach. I mean, so I plan and I and I worry over the big things. So like getting into medical school, where's my life going? Yeah, I definitely planned a lot. Mm-hmm. And worried about that. But I don't tend to be, I don't tend to worry about the little things. Like, I mean, which is good. I think we're becoming much more aware nowadays about like social anxiety and journalism anxiety and things like that. And oh, yeah. now perhaps I do have some with everything that's going on. But in the past, like I've never you know, thankfully experience social anxiety or again, really generalized anxiety. So long story short, I plan, I try to plan the things I need to plan. And then I try to not worry over the rest and just do the best that I can. I mean, I still worry. We all do. We all do. Yeah. I was saying, I think it's ultimately, it's like a control thing. Like there's so much we can't control, obviously, especially these external circumstances. Now there's not much we can do to control without all the knowledge as we're still building it. Right. So I think people definitely get more and more anxious with understandably so. Like I said, these times have definitely made me more anxious than I used to be. And that's one thing that I hate about this pandemic is I know it's really stressed people's mental health. Like not being able to get out, having, you know, all these bad things happening. I, I do hate that. Like I don't like planning my my new shape, like of my day. I'm not a scheduler. Mm. Even in medical school, I don't follow a schedule. Like some people say, okay, well, I'm gonna study from like eight to five with these breaks and it's time like no I, I do not do that um I I am go with the flow with certain things but I also I will say about social stuff I I sometimes end up being the person that plans it not that I want to I just know that it usually falls on me because it gets stuck I, I was gonna say I feel like this might shift how people how people were before and what's gonna happen after like people who weren't really into planning might not be into planning at all or oh, yeah. that might happen it's just after all this somebody who really was big into planning social events might be like, nah, I'm good. And then and the opposite, the people were like, I was not really into planning social events, but now I really want to plan to see people. I sense that will happen. No, it, I think, again, this has been a year that's told us a lot about ourselves. And I've oh, talked yes. about social dynamics with my friends. And basically, I am an extrovert in that I am, I like talking to people. I can, the way I see it is, I never, I've yet to hit my wall. Like my introverted friends and most of my friends are either ambiverts or introverts. They will say, I just hit a wall where I can't do it anymore. Like I'm tired. I just can't socialize anymore. And I'll say, well, I'm tired, but I can still do it. So in that way, I'm an extrovert. But I realized 
I probably am a lot more introverted than I thought because I have not, I don't like going constantly. Like I don't, some people thrive on being 24 seven busy mm-hmm. and I can be busy. Like in college, my, my freshman year, I was never in my dorm, but I like having some downtime. I like going out in nature and like being alone <laughs> and walking and stuff. Like I love walking down the beach by myself. That's something, and I like exploring different places by myself. I like sitting one-on-one and talking to people. And like I said, I've had some great conversations with people, but there have been moments I've been like, I've talked to a lot of people, I'm kind of tired. Um, <laughs> and the fact that, but the fact that I can talk to people and I have seen people pretty frequently just socially distanced again, of course, um, during this pandemic, I have, yes, I would much rather like be, have normal times, quote unquote, and go out and do stuff. But I have not felt like, oh my gosh, my social life is dying. I can't take this. Cause I know some people felt that way. And that's one reason that they maybe breached and did things they shouldn't have is because well I can't take anymore I've been inside all the time and I'm like I mean mm-hmm. yes I occasionally like to go out to a bar dance and stuff but I'm not dying to and I can certainly not do it basically I feel I am introverted extrovert I, I definitely think there will be in the future those who pursue PhDs there will be a focus specifically on this time too and I'm really curious to read those oh you're, yeah you totally I'm so excited I don't it's a nerdy thing to say but it's true I'm very no I'm too oh say girl I love that kind of stuff like I said people are interested in me so I look so what about yourself are you more of an introvert extrovert how have you responded during I, this time I would say more of an introvert I think I've always been relatively more introverted for sure although I do enjoy phone calls more than text mostly because when I text I have a lot of typos so, <laughs> and my tone I've been told like my tone in text doesn't really come across very well. It comes very off like abruptly. Like this, I make the point of what I want to make in that message, and that's it. <laughs> so, I usually oh, texting like, oh. is fascinating. Yeah, no, I think that's good because there's, in my opinion, again, I hear some older people say that they don't like text, but I actually know a lot of, I guess, older people that text. Like my grandmother, she uses Facebook, email, she texts. But I have mm-hmm. noticed that older people t- do not have long texting conversations with each other usually. Like she does, definitely doesn't. And I will say sometimes text can be helpful for getting out. Like if you have a lot of thoughts and it's something very complex, it can be helpful getting it mm-hmm. out. But that's not everyone's style. And like I said, it's definitely not for everybody. And there's just something really immediate about having a phone conversation. You're saying, I'm taking this time out of my day to sit down and talk with you. Because if it's a text, I can just look at it and like answer you later. But mm-hmm. with a phone call, then you would notice if I was ignoring you. Oh, so yeah, yeah there's okay. something very intimate about a phone call. I think it also depends on the person too. Like there are certain people that I will probably text more than I would call because that's just how we've established our relationship. And I think it goes along with what you're saying. It's like just learning about people because for some people you'll communicate one way and the others you communicate a whole different way. So I'm learning that too. It's like, oh, there's a, I'm wondering because there's a saying that's like, uh, you'll either, New York will either eat you alive or you'll thrive. And it's like, well, what about the pandemic? Oh man. (laughs) Yeah, I, I I feel for New York during this time because I know some people are fleeing and not coming back. Yeah, I'm one of those people who did the complete opposite. I moved during the pandemic and I've moved, I'm moving again during the pandemic. Yeah, I just am glad you've been safe because whew, oh, yeah. you have a lot of people in one city like that. It is rough. and It is rough. Oh, yeah. I, and just to think, one thing that I'm also sad about it is that things are going to go out of business and I would never have gotten to visit them. Yes, uh, even even in my time here, which hasn't been that long, a lot of businesses have closed. It's twisted too, but it's, it's like I, w- I was able to go to the Met. I went to the Met the other week, I think right around the holidays even, and usually it's crowded, but because 
of the pandemic, you had to reserve your time to go in and everywhere was empty. You didn't have to crowd to see anything. I think that might be one of the only small benefits of you can actually see the artwork, which is terrible to say, but it's true. Have you checked out Google Earth? I looked at images that were taken in March, I believe, 2020. And you can, it is very obvious that we're in a pandemic. There's so fewer cars in the streets in big cities. No, I didn't even think to do that. Yeah, I, I was on a phone call with a friend like late at night and we just decided, why not? Let's check Google Earth. And um, I was looking at cities in like China and stuff and they were so clear. It was wild. Whoa. Huh. Because they, of course, they were in lockdown at that point. We were just starting. But, um, we were just starting, yeah. But yeah, you could definitely tell. Uh, like, I think I looked at Beijing. It's like, wow, there are not that many cars in the street. Where but, do um, they all go? That's a good question. I mean, I know a lot of big cities are trying to prevent people from driving their cars there. Like in London, mm-hmm. I think they're charging a lot. To, I mean, obviously, New York is expensive to park, which makes sense. But there, I can't remember what it is, but there are specific initiatives in London. I think they're discouraging people driving. But I was going to say when you're talking about New York being fairly empty in comparison is that I have never lived in a really big like huge metropolitan city I did a study abroad in London for six weeks and I got a taste of what that but I did not feel that London was that crowded whereas Mm -hmm. I again never been to New York but all the images that I see which could be biased but there are just tons of people filling the sidewalk and pretty much every picture I've seen and London was not like that in my opinion like there were certain areas near Big Ben, etc., that were kind of like that. But the only time I felt, wow, there's just so many people was uh, rush hour on the tube at six. That was a bad idea. That's fascinating because I'm, I'm personally never been in London, so I can't speak on this. But I really like London. I really do. The two. I, I would happily live there during the summer every year if I could. Yeah, I'd heard the stereotype that it's really rainy, but but I've, I've been there, what, twice now? And it rained twice, maybe. So maybe it was just the, the spring, summer, but... The weather was beautiful when I was there. So I started in May and I came back in June. We were there for six weeks and it was beautiful weather. If it rained, I remember one time it rained, but it was very quick and it was over. Everything was so green, like really green. There were flowers everywhere. It was really nice. Like here, it's really hot. That's one thing I hate about Alabama weather. We don't have a lot of, I guess, natural disasters except tornadoes, but we do get really hot and humid. But no, it was like 70 max. Wow into june i mean that's really nice but yeah am i wrong though is new york that crowded see i because this is my first time living so i can't really say it seems i mean because i grew up near dc i didn't grow up in dc specifically i was living near there when i moved and it doesn't seem as crowded as it does up here so i feel like new york could be more crowded than it is even now because i have been on the subway you're able to it seems more crowded now presently than it was when I got here in July. July, I got on the subway maybe once and there was two other people in that car with me. But wow, now it's yeah. like there's a, every seat kind of is filled. And so I guess right. it's crowded. It's hard to say because where I'm moving to is a different borough. Yeah, so I'm in Brooklyn, I'm going to Queens. And I think even you can feel a shift in like the crowds and everything. So I don't know. I'm such a, I'm not a very good, reliable resource to talk about the New York experience. <laughs> well, you need, to, you need to go out and get more, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I <laughs> go need out in that pandemic and you get more experience. You can educate me. Go on. <laughs> I need to like just move to every borough for there you go. three months and just really okay. explore. Now that would be an interesting podcast, moving to a different borough of New York for three months oh. and then recording a new episode. Oh my gosh. I Gave mean, you an idea. Go. 
I feel like I've kind of already been doing that, though. I was like, first I moved into Brooklyn in an area called Bushwick. I was there for four months. And then I moved to, where am I at now? Uh, near Bed-Stuy, also in Brooklyn. But now I'll be moving to Queens in, I believe it's called Woodside. That is, that is, see, like I told you, I, so I did not move at all until I was 18 and I went to college. And then we had to move out of our house when I was, what, 20? And then I've moved multiple times since then. Not far or anything, but in the same, you know, cities. And, but I still haven't ex- moved somewhere that's very different. And like, you've moved to different states and stuff like that. And I just wonder, what would that be like? Because my problem is I have all of my stuff. I have all of my mom's stuff, my grandmother's stuff, my grandfather's stuff. And so it's not like I could just leave at my parents' house and go. So I'm like, too much crap to move around. Uh, <laughs> so it'll be hard for me to move far, you know? Like, moving from here to a nearby city might not be so bad, but if I try to move to California, my lord, that would be a very difficult venture. Well, I can pretend I'm an expert on this. Less stuff is better. Just don't get rid of more stuff. It helps. No, but it's the problem is it's too late. Like, I don't have time to go through all my stuff. Because, like, I kid you not, I found my great-grandmother's high school diploma the other day, which is cool, because that's from 1918, but, like, come on we have a lot of stuff I, in fact i mean again some of it is pretty interesting historically like my i think my grandmother's dad kept uh the newspaper from when world war ii ended and that's papers i don't think of much room but i also have you know 100 year old furniture and great grandmother's diploma high school diploma yeah so live growing up with my grandparents my mom so my mom couldn't adopt me until she was 35 because of china's law you had to be 35 to adopt and then so my grandparents or, you know, older, like, my grandmother's 82, my mom was 57, I think, and then I, they were basically my parents, so I heard about their parents, and even their grandparents a little bit, so I have no, I know a lot about, like, generations back in my family. My grandfather's mother was born in 1900, and she died in the 90s, late 80s, so she lived through quite a, you know, most of the 20th century. Um, his father was born in, like, 1892, and was in World War I, Lots of things, lots of stories. I'm genuinely curious what what do you do with your like great grandparents or great great grandparents items? Yeah, I mean they're just I have a house that's pretty big, so we just kind of have I mean we we put the furniture to use, but I have you know stuff. Right. Um but the other things because it's not like you're gonna hang up her high school diploma, are you? I know I mean, you no, could. no. No, but that's the thing is that, so some of the stuff I wish we had, like my grandmother, for instance, had a baseball that was signed by Babe Ruth and his entire freaking baseball and her like evil, evil stepmother stole it. But anyways, um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just really cool stuff. I think I mentioned to you that what my grandmother's dad was a radio announcer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the deal is. And he was also a state senator at some point. So like my grandmother's met so many famous people. So we have like interesting crap from that too. So I don't want to get rid of it. But also, like I said, I don't want to keep all of it. Like really what I would like to do is sit down and go through everything. Mm-hmm. And I, ha- I have done that. So it's not like, you know, I'm a hoarder. It's just you can't move in here. But yeah, I do have too much stuff. I need to go through it. But that's time consuming. And I don't it's have yours. Yeah, I think the old, I can't even think the oldest thing I have, which is quote unquote oldest, is probably something, might be this mug from high school. <laughs> I kid you not. I was wondering That's why me. I had an H on it. Is that yeah? I went to yeah. It's my high school's Hammond. It's just a nice size. I mean, it's, it's a pretty mug. I my high say. school have a mug. I don't know where I where in high school got it. I mean, no, I probably have something else, but it's just... like you said, less is more. And once you have it, and if you're at all sentimental, like I guess if you're not again not remotely sentimental, you're like yeah, just toss it or give it away. But some of these, like I said, I never knew my, what my grandfather's mother, but. 
I mean, she saved a bunch of stuff. I have money, for instance, that I don't know if it's worth anything, but it's from all over the world, but it's like paper money. Um, it's, it's kind of funny. I just have all this random stuff. But anyways, I've discovered recently, now we're getting real off topic and I'll ask my last question at some point, but <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. This, this, is, this is become an informative podcast too. Sometimes people are like, oh, based on what you were talking about this group, I found it there. It's like, oh, that's cool. But there's also something called the Buy Nothing Project, which is worldwide. Spectrum has decided to grace me with internet again. Yay. Speaking of internet, right? <laughs> We were like praising it earlier and now it's like, let me show you what I can really do. I yeah. can get glorious. I can screw it up. Like no one's business. There are some episodes where people do curse and then I'll just mark it as like, this one has curse words, but otherwise I'm like, whatever. Um, oh man. That was funny. I don't even know what happened. It was like, we were talking and then just suddenly it froze. So what I've done and what's worked for me, it's actually everywhere. It's everywhere in the world. It's something called buy nothing project. So you go to like buynothingproject.org. And you can find your area. My roommates are also packy too. Uh, so if you hear that, that's what that is. I do hear that. You do hear that? I was like, they're probably the talking. You the pack. Hello, roommates. Hello. <laughs> and this is New York, you know? But yes, the buynothingproject.org. And you, there's a map that shows you where your group is. So if you have Facebook, I think you have to have Facebook. But you can join that group. And basically what people do is post, I'm getting rid of this thing. And somebody can pick it up. And people will comment. And they'll come pick it up share where you live or something so like you don't have to go far to exchange items or pick yeah, up something really free yeah and I i've gotten rid of stuff through there too yeah i wonder how many people use it around here because i was trying to sell in fact you asked what do we do with all this stuff so we have a sofa that is from circa 1963-ish but it's really well made they don't make them like that anymore it's a henry don which furniture people always talk about they never get rid of this thing because again it's quality they don't make it like this anymore but we tried to sell it and I can't ship it anywhere. And there's some website called Cherish where apparently you can sell your stuff. But it was a lot of work to go through. And there was another website that sounded like it was less work, but it was only in like New York and places like that. So I was thinking, well, dang, too bad I'm not in a bigger area. Yeah, I wonder, because I know being in New York, there's like, technically you could just leave something on your, the curb in front of your place and somebody will come and get it, even if it's a couch or something, as long as people will do it because there are resources you can contact to pick up that item for you and bring it but i don't really know i mean i just don't want to um you know sell it for nothing this is a, this is a pretty valuable couch i looked online and mm -hmm. people are i mean i don't think they're gonna get this but they're selling them for like a thousand dollars so i was like i'd like you know not to give it away right. it's pretty valuable i was trying to get it for you know like 400 500 but and then when i finally decided i was going to keep it then more people were like oh i want to buy it now i said no no <laughs> Still, like, now I'm you're sorry. keeping it yeah i moved it now we're keeping it sorry I, also, I want to say, I would, uh, I hope I haven't been talking too much about myself. Normally, I would ask you questions, but I don't know, with a podcast set up, am I supposed to ask questions, or am I allowed to ask you questions? Because I, I would have, but I didn't know. Oh, no, no. I, I intentionally make it that's like, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. You talk about yourself. It's all for you. You know, I make it that way. because I'm just I not have... used to that. I feel like I'm talking about myself the entire time. Like, this is weird. I don't want to talk about myself 24-7. It's funny, because I've noticed that, too. There are a couple podcasts or interviews that I've done. And I've noticed like, this is actually a lot harder to be interviewed than to do the interviewing. So I now understand how everybody feels when they do this, which I didn't really know because I started this and I only interviewed, but no, everybody, it's it's hard to like really talk about yourself and get detailed too. It's like, oh, well, I, I guess what I mean is that I could, okay. So I usually adapt to any conversation where if the person, I feel they want to talk, I'll let them talk. 
And then if I feel like they want me to ask them questions, I will. So that's what I meant in that I try to give and take in a conversation. So it feels weird to me being the one that does most of the talking. And I'm thinking, mm. so I, I can actually talk about myself or anything, not even just myself for a long time. But I'm like, this is strange because, you know, it's polite not to talk about yourself 24-7. I try not to do that under normal this, circumstances. So this format is all about you. That's so weird. It's so strange. <laughs> but also, like I said, I didn't want to, you know, if you don't want to talk about your own personal stuff, I didn't want to bring it up. Yeah, I sometimes will insert here and there. So, like, obviously, the moving stuff is like, oh, yeah, that's kind of relevant. Not necessarily. But then in post-processing, I'll probably end up cutting a lot of myself out, too. I do that a lot. Okay. Like, I like it, though. I like hearing about your stuff. What's the nonprofit? Thing? Uh, the nonprofit is called Project Reclass. They focus on providing technology education for veterans to help them essentially reincorporate into society and like work it's a really That's good really cause for sure i i'm the kind of person where i have a lot of ideas it's just like which ones are viable mm. like execute That's well meme. yeah is there anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or anybody who adoption has become a big part of their life oh yeah that's a good question those those good questions are always so hard to answer because there's there's so many ways i could go with that well so there was one girl I was speaking with recently who is an undergrad and she is doing a, I think, honors thesis on storytelling and how that plays into Chinese adoptees identity and things like that. And she was saying that she hadn't had a lot of contact with other Chinese adoptees and kind of wishes that there was a way to do that more readily. Mm-hmm. And like I, we were talking about earlier is that we all are, so different. we have such different experiences, but we do have that one shared common thread of your Chinese adoptees and it would be kind of cool to be able to talk to people more I mean Mia you know is a close friend of mine and we've been friends for a long time but I didn't find her that was <laughs> that was through um you know our mothers and I haven't known a bunch of uh, Chinese adoptees really there was one girl at my school when I was a kid but we don't um you know really keep in contact anymore so it would be it would be cool if there was a way I guess it would be maybe internet-based, some kind of hub that people could get on and talk with each other. It's not just a Facebook group. I mean, those are great, but they're limited, I think. Because Facebook, right, p- people make posts and they comment on them, and I guess they can directly chat each other, and it's a way to share information. But, you know, it's Facebook. It, it's an entity within an entity. I wish there was a maybe app, website kind of thing that we could contact where people could share their information, like in videos if they wanted to. There could be like, I don't know, chat rooms, like maybe Reddit and Facebook had a baby, like a blog mixed with Reddit, maybe. I don't, I don't don't know. Just some, again, I'm just brainstorming here and I don't know how you would go about making this work. Mm. So perhaps it's just a idealistic thing, but she and I had talked about even a way to make something like this, but we we don't have time. She's in college or medical school. I don't really see that. Because I can only think of like the the SAT group has those Zoom calls. They have those Zoom calls. The what group? Subtle Asian Adoptee Treats group. It's a Facebook group, but they they have these like scheduled calls where like every oh. all the Asian adoptees come together. And I talk. didn't know that. I feel like you definitely bring up a good point. It's like we do have these like resources, like the Facebook groups and these calls. But they're um, scattered. And they're very yeah. I guess that's like my a, point. I wish we had a central hub that like a more central hub. Kind of a way for um a lot of these things to come together. And there could be a list of resources. For instance, I know there's so many projects of people who are interested in finding out about their birth families. 
Mm-hmm. It would be nice. And again, perhaps it exists and I'm just dumb and I don't realize it. But if we had like one place that would be a starting point for people to communicate in various different areas that relate to Chinese adoption, that would be really cool. Yeah. Like a blog, a list of resources, chat right. blah, 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 blah. That'd be super cool. I think some of those have started to be created in like different platforms. I know I was speaking with a Korean adoptee recently. And they were telling me that in Korea, there's actually a organization that is dedicated solely for that. And they were, and when we were talking about it, they predict for Chinese adoptees, maybe in 10, 15 years, might have this as well. Oh, might have so far one. from now, though. Yeah, but it's I mean, because of history and everything. Like, obviously, or not obviously, I think with Korean adoption, for sure, it was very prominent back with the Korean War. Right. So like a lot of those adoptees are actually, I should say, older than me, for instance, but they, it took some time for them to finally develop an organization and groups that solely focus on providing resources that without an expensive cost to help, to help Korean adoptees find their birth families. Maybe in some point that would be cool if China does that. Right. Um, And, you know, I don't know if you need to go or whatever, if we have time for this, but we didn't even talk about, like I, about, um, I guess my specific adoption story, like I said, the, the parent side, but I didn't say anything about the birth family side. And I actually have like a sweater that I think my birth mother made for me, which is kind of interesting and why I feel that, like I said, a lot of kids or young adults are looking for their families. I don't think that my birth family is looking for mine because that would be a very easy way to like look for your kid. Probably a homemade sweater. I yeah, it's uh, it's clearly homemade. Like I said, I would just you know, that's assuming that my birth mother made it for me. Yeah, I have it. It's uh, purple. It's got white buttons sewn on with like red felt thread. But I didn't have, or to my knowledge, I didn't have like a finding note or whatever. And I think my birthday is correct, but I'm not entirely sure. So there's that too. It's just weird. It's weird. Like, okay. So basically, sometimes I'll think about it. It is so strange to think that, and I want to know how you feel about it, actually, to think that you came from people that you'll never meet, probably, most likely never meet. And for me, I don't feel like a part of me is missing. I would love to know because I'm curious and I like stories and people as we discuss. But I feel like I'm me regardless. So if someone said right now that I could find out about my birth family, I would say yes, simply because even if it was bad news, for instance, or, or something negative, I don't think it would, it might make me sad, but it wouldn't affect me as a person. But I know a lot of people don't feel like that because they, they would rather not go down that rabbit hole. Mm. And that's fair. But I, okay. I don't feel that way though. That's a really nice perspective. I would say personally, I'm not that interested or curious right now to find birth parents or family. I do feel regardless of whenever that happens, it's going to bring up more questions rather than answers, no matter what, whether I find Mm. them or don't. No, you're right about that. I I was like, "Eh." I mean, I feel like I've only recently been interested in discovering more about my, my being adopted really as a whole obviously talking to other adoptees. But even on that level, I feel like my curiosity is still pretty surface level. Like I don't really go deep into the analysis of like our adoption and how that affects us. And there are people who really enjoy that research and going into that information. So (laughs) I think I'll just be eventually getting there. That's fine. If you don't get there, that's fine too. That's Um, true. Like, you know what? Yeah. I mean, if you, some people are, are just naturally more curious about those things and then for whatever reason they just don't want to find out and I totally think that's fine and I know for some people that it really I guess upsets them that they can't find out that information I can understand that too I just want to know because I'm curious dang it I want to know Mm -hmm. 
but it doesn't keep me up at night or anything but i, I definitely right. wish i could know i am always curious i guess i should say not that I'm not, I'm not curious to really do the process of finding them how about that i am kind of sometimes i do wonder or curious like what do my parents look like like do i look like them that's like the biggest thing that gets me honestly is the physical appearance which oh interesting and well i mean more than that but it is interesting well, i don't know when you grow up around people who don't look like you i don't think that's i think we discussed when you and i talked before this that a lot of people don't realize that i'm chinese even chinese people i've met like, oh you're chinese i thought you were like filipino or something so mm-hmm. so i guess i don't look like people um regardless which is kind of interesting but for me i just want to know what my birth family was like and if i got any traits for them because you know nature and nurture obviously my, my adopted family is my family and i definitely got a lot from them through being around them but i am curious if like any genetic stuff yeah there's all that too like genetically kind of interesting am i supposed to be getting a serious illness at some point in life which yeah, is that's a whole can that's of a whole med- other medical yeah. ethical worms but i mean, also i don't have any siblings so it'd be cool to know if i had you know extended family but i will kid you not with this pandemic has crossed my mind to think has my birth family been taken out by the pandemic because i hope not i don't know i'm i oh, think yeah i don't think i'm from that far from Wuhan. it's not that far mm-hmm. it didn't seem that far to me at least on a map but i don't know i it's just, it's just something to think about because I, I know a girl where her grandparents are in China and a, a couple of them passed away from the virus. So that crossed my mind too. That actually, the fact that you're actually vocalizing it too is interesting. But I feel like that's crossed a lot of our minds. Probably we just haven't vocalized it. A strong possible. I mean, we're hearing about all the deaths in the U.S. alone. I'm sure. Right. Everywhere in the world, it's insane. So it's it's just a it's a lot to think about. I'm sorry to bring that up at the end, but I'm just like, man, there's just so much you to know? think about. <laughs> It's true, though. You're vocalizing a lot of what I'm sure crosses people's minds, which is what I do a lot on this podcast, too, which it is what it is. Like I said, I enjoy talking about these things, and especially with um, a new friend and someone who can offer me a new perspective. Yes, I will provide my fresh perspective. (laughs) You're gracing with your perspective, and I appreciate it. I will grace you with my presence here on this podcast. Yes, I like the kind of Britishy accent that came on at the end. Oh yeah, I do that a lot. I am so bad at accents. I really cannot mimic them. <laughs> Probably <laughs> would offend people if I tried. Do you use Instagram or like any social media? I, you have to spell it right because I, I named myself Mimi as a baby. But Your yeah. Instagram is mcollier96. Yes, and then my Facebook is my name, which is M-E, capital M-E, capital M-E. Memes before memes existed. I no joke named myself Mimi as a baby. Like, I was a year old, and it just stuck. I forgot that that's how you spell meme as well. <laughs> yeah, since so people would say, like, oh, meme, and I'm like, I am the original meme, friends. I'm the original. <laughs> I, I was the... around before memes were a thing. Goodbye for now. I'm sure we'll talk again. Yes. We have had pretty long conversations together. <laughs> that's, all, that's all the questions I have. Thank you for listening to ABC. You can contact me at adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com or adoptedbabiesfromchinapod on Instagram and Facebook if you would like to share your story.